0: This is Wavemaker Conversations, the Super Bowl edition. I understand that your college coach at Notre Dame told the pro recruiters, that no, this guy's not pro material. Is that true?
1: What, what he said is, which is um, a, a lot more poignant, is that uh, I would ru- run through a brick wall, but the hole I would leave would be small. That was his way of saying that uh, that I was too small to play in the NFL. As
0: we approach Super Bowl 49, a wave-maker conversation with 5-foot, 11-inch Hall of Fame linebacker Nick Bonaconti.
1: Uh, we got our butts kicked by the Dallas Cowboys in Super Bowl six. We were so embarrassed by the Cowboys because they just took us apart. Bonaconti will tell us how
0: that embarrassing loss in Super Bowl six drove his team to victory in Super Bowl VII. We'll speak with a University of Nebraska All-American who made it to the Super Bowl his rookie year in the NFL. And I actually managed the maybe unparalleled feat to go through the entire season without making a tackle. That dry spell did end for Rick Bonas. He became a special teams expert, and he'll give us what he calls the surreal perspective of being on the field during a kickoff or punt.
2: Sometimes the collisions are such that you're not really sure until whether you got the tackle until you hear the loud loudspeaker pronouncing your name.
0: We'll also check in with one of the great sports documentary makers, former president of HBO Sports, Ross Greenberg, who is trying to figure out how Seattle running back Marshawn Lynch, now in his eighth season, got this good.
3: Yeah. I, I don't know what clicked, but something did a couple years ago. Guys, guys get into their prime at different stages in their careers, but right now we're seeing one of the most dominant running backs I've ever seen in the sport.
0: Welcome to Wavemaker Conversations, a podcast driven by perspective-changing interviews with the most creative minds and respected leaders in the arts, sports, business, politics, and fields that span many disciplines. I'm your host, journalist Michael Shoulder. This episode is for both avid football fans and people who really don't care who wins but who want to be able to watch the game with a sharper set of lenses, which is why we call it How to Watch the Super Bowl Better Than Your Friends. We begin in Miami, home of the Dolphins, a dominant team in the 1970s when its virtually impenetrable defense was led by our first guest, Hall of Fame linebacker Nick Bonaconti. Thank you for joining me on uh, Michael Shoulder's Wavemaker Conversations. I appreciate it.
1: Well, Michael, it's, uh, it, it's a great pleasure to be here. And with everything that is shaping up to be a great Super Bowl, I think that uh, that people will, will be on the edge of their chairs watching Brady and Wilson and, uh, and the offensive lines of, of both teams. It, it'll be a, it's going to be a great game.
0: Well, let me just, you know, for for the people, uh, for the younger people in our audience, you know, I grew up with you and and I remember the Miami, the the Super Bowl champion Miami Dolphins. But just to introduce you, Nick Bonaconte, uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2001. Let's face it, you were too short to play. Everybody said it and you didn't listen. And and so I want to take people back. Tell me about how you got into the NFL at 5'11". 220 pounds, and I understand that your college coach at Notre Dame told the pro recruiters that, no, this guy's not pro material. Is that true?
1: Well, he didn't exactly say that. What he said is, uh, which, which is um, a, a lot more poignant, is that I would ru- run through a brick wall, but the hole I would leave would be small. And uh, and that was you know that was his way of saying that uh, uh, that I was too small to play in the NFL. And a matter of fact, I, I you know obviously I was not drafted by the NFL. I was drafted by the Patriots in like the eleventh or twelfth round or thirteenth round. I forget which one. And. Um, and, you know, and it, it was the AFL that gave me the start. And that's interesting. So I just got off the phone with Ross Greenberg, former president of
0: HBO Sports, who you know very well. And he was talking about the how the, the AFL came up and uh, the NFL didn't take them seriously at first. And eventually, obviously, they merged. But you did not, you know, in the days when you got out of college and started playing Pro Bowl, you were not even drafted by the NFL, correct?
1: That's correct. I, I was not drafted. They had something like, I think they had over 20 rounds in the draft then, and I was, I was not even an afterthought uh, by any of the teams. But there was this new league that had just come up, the AFL,
0: and they didn't even draft you till the 13th round. And so, Nick Bonaconti, there you are.
1: What, what were you, 21, 22 years old? I was I was 21. I happened to be a, a smart kid from Springfield, Mass., went went through a, a parochial education, uh, graduated from high school, was recruited heavily by a, by a lot of teams, and uh, fortunately... Uh, or I should say, fortunately for me, uh, Notre Dame was on the horizon, and uh, it gave me the opportunity to be able to progress and become a, uh, a full a first-rate uh, uh, NFL linebacker. So when you were drafted 13 by the second-rate
0: AFL, did you have some inner confidence that told you, I'm going to be a first-rate AFL, NFL, any league player?
1: Well, it, it it's not that simple because you first of all you have to make the team. And you know, there was no guarantee that I was going to be part of the of the then Boston Patriots, now New England Patriots, but there was no guarantee that I was gonna be uh, a uh, you know was going to be able to make that football team, and it came right down to the last day when when the coach who was Mike Holovack, uh Mike just uh, he 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 had to make a decision between myself and another linebacker, and uh, I was I was you know obviously very very nervous. And uh he came down the stairs. Uh uh and we, we were practicing at BU Field because we didn't have a field at the time. And uh, he he came over to me and he and he pat me on the back and he said, You made it and it was such a relief I can't tell you. Uh it was a uh it was a sort of a godsend that you know that I was Drafted by the then Boston Patriots in the 13th round. My family was from Springfield, Mass. I grew up in Springfield, Mass. Uh, it, it gave me the opportunity to play in front of, of of a lot of my friends and family. It was a, a, a great blessing in disguise. When you got into that
0: game, uh, you know, going from college to pro is, at least in these days, that's a big transition did you start succeeding right away?
1: Uh, yeah, I was. I was the backup middle linebacker for one game, and what ended up happening was we played the Dallas Texans. And Len Dawson, who ends up being my cohort on HBO's Inside the NFL for 23 years, uh, is the quarterback for uh, for the for the uh, then the Dallas Texans, and um, he put he. Tasted our defense. One of the running backs was Abner Haynes, and at the time he gained something like 150 yards on the ground. And so the coach came up to me and he said, "Nick, you're going to be starting the middle linebacker the next game." So the second game that that we played, I was the I was the starting middle linebacker and. Uh, from that point on, I never re- relinquished uh, that position. I was always a starter. I was always the captain. And, um, and uh, good things happened from there.
0: And so, so tell us, for, for, the, for the non-football audience, just tell us the job description of the linebacker.
1: Oh, the, the the job description of a linebacker is you depend on the front four. In other words, you 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 depend on the on the defensive line to be able to to take the offensive uh, linemen and and shield them from you. And your your job is really to do the, a cleanup. In other words, you. The defensive line takes on the offensive line, uh, and you're responsible to to uh, make the tackle, and you know that's a uh, and that's still the same way today. It, that has not changed.
0: So no matter how much the game has changed in strategy and in so many ways, that remains the same. So I have a question for you: Who taught you how to tackle?
1: Well, no one taught me how to tackle. That's instinctive. I mean, you know, you either either it's like it's like a running back. You can't teach a running back uh, how to make a cut or how to find a hole. Either they have it or they don't. A wide receiver, I mean, either they have speed or they don't have speed.
0: But you but you do see, even at the highest levels, you see a lot of missed tackles. Did you miss a lot of tackles? I wouldn't be in a
1: Hall of Fame if I missed a lot of tackles.
0: So, so what made it possible for you to tackle so consistently, what did you do? What was your approach?
1: I, I got to the, the ball carrier before the offensive line got to me. And that
0: takes anticipation, and that takes what I guess we call reading the offense.
1: Yeah, you read the, you read the triangle, which is the center and two guards. And if you can read the triangle, uh, they're going to take you to the football almost every play.
0: How long does it take to learn how to read the triangle?
1: Uh, it depends on the individual. Uh, I went to Notre Dame, so it took me about 10 seconds. So because I had a, a, a good education, and I was, you know, I was uh, taught very well, uh, uh, you know, from from there to to the pro. But you know, s- some people just don't see it. You know, they they think it's confusing, uh, so they just you know they just concentrate on the center. And, and and normally the center will will, will take you to probably fifty percent of the place. So
0: so when you watch so you you who were on the undefeated Miami Dolphins, it was nineteen seventy three that you won the Super Bowl, right? Not a single defeat for that team, correct?
1: That's correct.
0: And you were the captain of the defense. As the captain of the defense, what what is your role?
1: Well, my, my role as captain of the defense is to give leadership. You know, you need leadership on the field, and, and you've got to have, and you have to have a uh, sense of respect uh, going from, for, from the defensive uh, players to the captain. And I think I, I had the respect of the players. Uh, they respected the fact that I, I played well, and they respected the fact that I led well. And you know it was my job to get the signal from the sideline, which meant the defense came in from the sideline and it was my 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 role to be able to uh, to check off if if need be uh, because of the formations of the different offensive sets that the that the other team would be using. Uh, so it would be, it, it it's, sounds complicated, uh, and it is complicated, but uh, it, it works.
0: It's, it sounds, from my untrained eye, it looks like because of the various rule changes and the growing role of the quarterback, that there is a greater variety of plays now for a middle linebacker to have to anticipate. Is that true? And, and how does that impact how you watch the Super Bowl and how you watch any
1: football game? I, I, I think that's totally unfair, what you just said. The question that you pose is, is really r- ridiculous, because uh, in my mind... Uh, what what happens uh, is that game plans are, are game plans, and and the defense that you that you're facing, the offense is facing, uh, it plays certain patterns of defense. In other words, some play zone, some play man-to-man. Uh, uh, you know, back when I played, you could you could capitate some some uh, some wide receivers if they came across the middle i mean you could use your elbows in their chins and you wouldn't get called for a penalty nowadays the whole thing has changed much for the better i may add the players you know the players are at least somewhat protected now because the defensive guys can't hit them after five yards beyond the line of scrimmage. So it, it really makes for, for an offensive game uh, to be played. And um, it, it really, uh, really has changed from, from that particular point of view, but it's still football and it's still blocking, it's still tackling, it's still running your patterns, it's still releasing the football. It's all of those things put together which makes the, the game interesting. You're listening to Wavemaker Conversations
4: With Domino's new Piece of the Pie Rewards, you earn a free medium two-topping pizza after just six online orders of $10 or more. Need some reasons to order? Throw a half-birthday party for your husband. Happy 36 and a half. Or your cat. Or get in touch with your vegetarian side. Hold the pepperoni. But we think free pizza's reason enough. Start earning points toward free pizza with our five ninety nine mix and match deal at dominoes.com today. Rewards program is open only to U.S. residents 13 and older with a pizza profile account. Only one order per day earns points. Complete details at dominoes.com slash rewards. You must select this limited time offer. Prices, participation, and charges may vary.
0: Introducing Play.it, a podcast network like no other. From award-winning news programming and number one sports brands to entertainment and business leaders, Play.it is Delivering storytelling at its best. We're going to be having conversations with newsmakers and culture shapers. I will be talking mostly about fashion and how I've been marketing all my life. Tech, culture, and entrepreneurship.
4: Everything in the world of sports entertainment and wrestling
0: and beyond. Hear what you've been missing at play.it. You're listening to the WaveMakers Super Bowl Edition. I'm Michael Shoulder. Later in the program, we'll get the unique behind-the-scenes insights of former HBO Sports President Ross Greenberg. Right now, I'm speaking with Hall of Fame linebacker and Super Bowl champion Nick Bonaconti. Remind me of what happened your previous season in the Miami Dolphins. You had been traded from the Patriots to the Dolphins the year before you guys won the Super Bowl. What was your record? Uh,
1: the 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 record the year before was something like ten and four. There were only fourteen games at the time, and we were we were ten and four, and uh, we got our butts kicked by the Dallas Cowboys in Super Bowl six, and so uh, when when we Went back to, to training camp. Uh, we were determined that we were going to uh, not only get back to a Super Bowl, but win a Super Bowl. And the team totally dedicated themselves to that because we were so embarrassed by the Cowboys because they just took us apart. The fact that we went undefeated was sort of accidental, and no one, you know, no one ever thought that. You know that we would, you know that that we could go undefeated. No one planned it that way, but it happened. And you know something, uh, it was very fortuitous that it, that it happened. But it's also was uh, we, we had a great football team, and and it and it just happened.
0: Well, uh, you know, I've, I've heard the term before, uh, winner's locker room, and people talk about how important this is sort of the spirit of the team is. How would you define the spirit of that championship team, and, and, and who defined it?
1: Well, the team defines it. In other words, the team is, is, the, is the one. I mean, whether it's Larry Zonka, or Jim Kick, or Mercury Morris, or Paul Warfield— you know, there's a there's a certain uh, there's a certain uh, character that that is built by a team. Larry Zonka, for example, was the hardest running fullback I have ever seen, and he was tough and he was physical and he made you pay for 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 tackling him. And then Mercury Morris, on the other hand, was fleet. I mean, he was f- so fast that he, that he could take a, a pitch uh, uh, and go around the end and and just, you know, leave everybody in the dust. And Jim Kick was steady. In other words, you could count on him for everything. I mean, you could count on him to catch the football on third and five. And, and, and Earl Morrill who came in for Bob Greasy when Greasy got hurt, really depended on Jim Kick because Jim Kick was so steady and so in- exceptional in catching the football. So it sounds to me
0: like there was not a weak link in the team and everybody had their different strengths.
1: You're you're absolutely right. There was not a weak link. We led the league in offense. We led the league in defense, giving up the fewest number of points. And we led the league in special teams' performance.
0: Now, let me ask you, because as, as we sort of all get ready to watch the Super Bowl, what is the level of preparation that goes into the Super Bowl? And my question is, do you prepare the same for every game with the same intensity, or is the preparation for the Super Bowl, in your experience, a different level of preparation?
1: Well, well, first of all, you have two weeks to prepare, whereas during the, during the regular season, you have one week. Uh, so you have two weeks to prepare, and you have two weeks to rest your 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 uh, players who uh, who have been performing so well throughout the you know, the regular season. So you can rest them. you don't have to rush to practice. you don't have to 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 rush through putting in the game plan uh, for for the super Bowl so it's 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 much more relaxed atmosphere. Uh, the first week when you're off. Uh, it's the second week where the preparation becomes really intense. Uh, the second week is, is where the, any, any corrections in the game plan is put in. The defenses are, are given you know, particular uh, defensive strategy, and, and you, work on, you work through that, the offense is is trying to give you a picture of what the offense that you're going to play against uh, is is going to do, and so it's a uh, it, it becomes a pressure cooker the second week. The first week is very relaxed, and 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 you really don't even put the game plan in until the second week. So it's a, uh, I, I you know I I explain it as. Uh, is having a week off and then intense, intense, intense.
0: You talk about intense, intense, intense. So I read a quote from you. You said, every play is like life or death. He's, you said, I can't think of anything when I'm playing except the play that is taking place at the moment. Were you hardwired for that? Was it something in your upbringing with your parents? How did you get that way?
1: Well, I, I think you know when you're when you're always the smallest guy on the field, or not really the smallest guy on the field, but but one of the smallest guys on the field, and you have uh, uh, and you have to you know overcome that particular uh, stigma, then you know, then you 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 work harder you practice harder you study harder and and that's what i did i mean you know i nothing just comes naturally i mean some of it does because i i had instincts that you know maybe some linebackers didn't have you know it's still you know it still was a um, it still was a determination that that I had that I was going to succeed, and I've done that. And no matter what I what I've tried, whether it's uh, football or whether it's the Miami Project to cure paralysis, or or whether it was a job, I you know I just am a very determined individual, and. Uh, you know, it's, it's paid off.
0: And so you mentioned the Miami Project. So, you know, for those in the audience who don't know it, you know, your son, Mark, playing football at the Citadel, had a devastating injury, paralyzed from the neck down. And I, and I, and I want to read you something that you heard when you were inducted into the Hall of Fame. And there's a line that, as a parent of three kids, just hits me and says okay that's that's what i want my kids to feel from me in any situation and here was here was one of one of the sentences he used to introduce you he said in october and this was 1985 i had my paralyzing injury playing linebacker for the citadel and he said speaking to you looking into your eyes i saw a mask of pain and fear transform into that familiar look of determination I knew you were getting ready for our biggest challenge.
1: Yeah, it's uh, well. The other the other thing is when I first went to his bedside, uh, I looked down and he had tubes in his nose and throat. He couldn't speak, uh, and I saw this look in his eyes that said, "Daddy, please help me." And for the first time in my life, I couldn't help my son. So it, there was a you know there was sort of a transformation if you want to call it that from 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 son to father that uh that really propelled us into forming the Miami Project to cure paralysis and and to you know actually uh, be you know be the in the forefront of trying to find a cure for spinal cord injury. We are we are going into human clinical trials for people like Mark and people who have had their injuries for for you know for longer than six months to a year, uh, c- called chronic injuries. Uh, and um, hopefully, we're going to be able to restore function to paralyzed people. That is the intent, and that is the only intent of the Miami project, and that is to find a cure for spinal cord injury.
0: This is a bigger mission than football, and a bigger mission than the Super Bowl. And uh, we'll get your information on on on, on our website, WaveMaker.me. And uh, Nick Bonaconti, uh thank you so much. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Are you rooting for anyone? Uh, I'm an old patriot. <laughs> Can't, can't take the Patriot out of the Patriot. No, he can't. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to Wave Maker Conversations.
4: With Domino's new piece of the pie rewards, you earn a free medium two-topping pizza after just six online orders of $10 or more. Need some reasons to order? Throw a half-birthday party for your husband. Happy 36 and a half. Or your cat. Ow! Or get in touch with your vegetarian
3: side. Hold the pepperoni.
4: But we think free pizza's reason enough. Start earning points toward free pizza with our five ninety nine mix and match deal at dominoes.com today. Rewards program is open only to U.S. residents 13 and older with a pizza profile account. Only one order per day earns points. Complete details at dominoes.com slash rewards. You must select this limited time offer. Prices, participation, and charges may vary
0: introducing play.it a podcast network like no other from award winning news programming and number one sports brands to entertainment and business leaders play.it is delivering storytelling at its best we're going to be having conversations with newsmakers and culture shapers
3: I will be talking mostly
0: about fashion and how I've been marketing all my life tech, culture and
4: entrepreneurship everything in the world of sports entertainment and wrestling and beyond hear what you've been missing at
0: play.it You're listening to Wavemaker Conversations. We call this episode How to Watch the Super Bowl Better Than Your Friends. Shortly, we'll be speaking with the former president of HBO Sports who has spent more time behind the scenes with his crews at the NFL than anyone I know. First, another Super Bowl NFL veteran with a very different perspective from Nick Bonaconti. Wavemaker Conversations now brings to you yet another NFL player. His current position is a law partner at the, uh, the prestigious Nebraska firm of Kutak Rock, Rick Bonas. He was an All-American center at the University of Nebraska in the early 70s, third round draft pick of the Oakland Raiders, and arrived at the Oakland Raiders the year that they won the Super Bowl. So he has actually been on the field during a Super Bowl. Rick, welcome to Michael Shoulders' Wavemaker Conversation. Thank
2: you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm honored to uh, join in this conversation.
0: Well, you know, our, our goal, uh, and it's not limited to this, but our goal, uh, the title of this, of this particular episode is How to Watch the Super Bowl Better Than Your Friends, and really we're looking for insights from people who can teach us some things that will allow us to see things in this game that we might otherwise not notice or even feel things in these games that we couldn't feel without the knowledge of speaking to somebody like you. And I really want to start your story with you reading something that you wrote about your very first game as center at the University of Nebraska.
2: You bet, Mike. I'll be happy to.
0: My first game as Nebraska
2: center was against UCLA on Saturday afternoon, September 8, 1973. UCLA was ranked 10th in the nation, Nebraska 4th. I will never forget breaking the huddle for the first play and running to the line of scrimmage. I reached down to grab the ball as the nose tackle took his stance. His gigantic hand on the ground below my face was wrapped in white blood-stained tape, twitching, ready to slam into my head the second I snapped the ball. If that wasn't bad enough, he started swearing at me, talking smack. He was manifest violence. I remember sheer panic the moment before Steve Runney, our quarterback, called for the snap. After the play, I ran back to the huddle and yelled at my guards, Did you hear that guy? Get over here and help me. They did. After the next play, Killer stopped talking. We marched down the field and scored on a one-yard quarterback sneak. We won the game and moved up to second in the nation.
0: Just out, just out of curiosity, what, what did your uh, offensive line do to get Killer to stop talking?
2: They helped me. <laughs> <laughs> they both came over, and uh, we just got some momentum going, and it, and it all worked out. But it was just uh, reflective, I think. While well, that was college, and uh, I was not a center uh, in the Super Bowl, I think it's reflective on some, so the nerves and the excitement of uh, that was my first game, but the Super Bowl is, is certainly a first, first time for some of these players uh, not the teams, but uh, some of the players, and it's, a, uh, it's quite an experience. I was a special teams player primarily in, in the pros, and one uh, sort of image in my mind that comes into play was standing on, uh, you know, at, on the line for kickoff coverage and just lining up,
0: preparing to go down. So first of all, take me back to that moment because we're going to see a lot of kickoffs and a lot of, presumably, quite a few punts in this Super Bowl. And so that moment that the whistle blows, are you just, you know, fear is put aside and, and something takes over you? Or is it more surreal? And does time slow down? Well, what does it feel like? Well, it's interesting. You know, I think
2: standing there before the kickoff, when you're just getting ready to run down, it, it's more surreal. There's a, there's a sense of Of your immediate surrounding the ground even I remember thinking the ground just you know the feel of the ground the the look of the players 10-15 yards away the referee placing the ball and preparing to blow the whistle the senses are really heightened because of the uh, at least for me the anxiety and uh, of preparing to run down the field And, and then the moment the whistle blows I mean you just go and you start, scree- you know, screaming down the field, both, you know, sometimes literally and, and certainly metaphorically, in, in running. But um, and then there's an initial wave of collisions, and then there's a where the the first blacker that's assigned to you tries to get to you, and then there's the uh, hopefully the the, <laughs> the next phase, which is where you're involved in the tackle. Um, and and it's those they sort of increase in in uh, you you recognize what's happening to the extent that you you're fin going for the tackle and performing your you know responsibility on the other hand it's sort of a it's a little bit of a blur it's kind of a layered unfocused and a and a focused because behind all of that is a screaming stadium and the color and the, the number of people it's just a, it's a that's the surreal piece of it you're you're alone and performing your your job in one sense you've got a layer of players You know, coming after you in in a sense of a fight, and then and then you've got beyond all of that a stadium full of screaming people and the lights flashing, and uh, with with the signs and the um, scoreboards and all of that instant replay, and so it's 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 quite a when you say surreal. I I really think you know there's a there's a big element of, of, of that. But then there's also that element of reality that you really are aware of in performing your job, which is trying
0: to get a tackle. And, and by the time, uh, do you remember making any tackles in that Super Bowl that the Oakland Raiders played? <laughs> oh, it's funny you ask that because as a
2: rookie, I was uh, I, I changed from center to linebacker, and and played uh, special teams. That's when I was at Oakland, and I actually managed the you know maybe unparalleled feat. Unmatched feet to go through the entire season without making a tackle. There's, <laughs> just to give you an idea of, of the violence uh, and the uncertainty as to how, you know, whether, how you're going to end up at the end of the play. For example, on a kickoff, I remember running down and being at the bottom of the pile on a kickoff coverage and I may have gotten a tackle or not. I mean, some, sometimes the collisions are such that you're not really sure until whether you got the tackle until you hear the loud loudspeaker pronouncing your name. And uh, so at the bottom of the pile, I hear a couple of guys moaning, one on my right and one on my left. And I look over, and the guy on my right's holding his knee with a knee injury, and the guy on my left is holding his knee with a knee injury. So... Um, I, I don't think people, you don't, I, I didn't really think about getting hurt, uh, running down. You're just doing, you know, you're just doing your job. But but the reality then can come in pretty harsh, harsh moments. Uh, and that was certainly one of them that I recall.
0: What What did you learn in football, maybe even in that Super Bowl game or in any of your other NFL games, about failing on one play and then having the mental capacity to come back and bounce back and succeed on the next play?
2: Well, I, I you know, I think a, a couple of things. I, It's through the experience of that happening, and that happens a, a few ways, I think. I think of, uh, I'm reminded of running wind sprints in college. Um, that's funny because you don't really run wind sprints in the pros a little bit, but not like we did in college. But you run 10 or 12 and you just can't do any more. You know, you're exhausted. Coach says, do two more. And you, oh, you can't do them. you can't do it. And then you do it. And then it's time to go in. Nope, not time to go in. Do two more. So you end up recognizing that mentally and physically you can push yourself beyond the end point. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we studied the weaknesses and strengths. We knew the. We tra- worked on the weaknesses that we had. We studied the weaknesses and strengths of other teams. And then through games and experience, with that confidence and knowing that you just it happens. You fail. And then you succeed on the next play, and you turn it all around. You become very aware of how quickly the dynamics of a game can change and how much capacity each of us has to overcome adversity. Because we know we're going to fail. We've all failed at something. But sometimes we don't really recognize our power to overcome that and how if we just believe, have the confidence that if we keep trying, something could happen to change it, to turn it all around. And then it does. You know, and that's what's so cool. That's what sports, you know,
0: such a cool thing about sports. And, you know, it's carry over into life. So now I have to carry over into your life two healthy sons. And then at some point in their lives, they each got a diagnosis. Tell us about that story and tell us how you have handled it and how perhaps your experience and the dynamics of football playing have played into how you have handled it successfully, it seems.
2: Well, uh, it's one of those, you know, you give all your credit to your teammates. I give all the credit to my sons and their strength and their courage. Uh, At four or 10, they were diagnosed with type one diabetes. And uh, at at the ages of four and 10, they're now um, 30 and 27 and uh one is in his third year residency as an orthopedic surgeon the other's in, in uh los angeles uh, acting and studying and working hard you know they this notion of facing adversity and and still reaching for the stars uh they've lived it and i and it's hard to appreciate i, I can't appreciate it as their parents you know night, nightly uh Finger pokes and shots, and just a constant trying to manage blood sugar levels, which causes uh, you know if they're too high, dizzy, weakness; too low, you know its own issues. But the no, the idea of okay, we have this situation. What are we going to do? You know, and that's sort of that's that's in the game. This wasn't the game, but those same principles. You know, okay, what do we have to do to, 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 to overcome this, to live with this, to excel and, and, and live a full life? You know your, your strengths and you know the adversity and just believe. Just keep doing the best you can, even if you don't know how it's going to turn out.
0: Rick Bonas, uh, really been a, a treat having you on uh, Wavemaker Conversations. Thank you,
2: Michael. Pleasure's been all mine, and I really appreciate your interest, and I enjoyed it too. Thanks. You're
0: listening to Wavemaker Conversations.
4: With Domino's new piece of the pie rewards, you earn a free medium two-topping pizza after just six online orders of $10 or more. Need some reasons to order? Throw a half-birthday party for your husband. Happy 36 and a half. Or your cat. Ow! Or get in touch with your vegetarian side. Hold the pepperoni. But we think free pizza's reason enough. Start earning points toward free pizza with our five ninety nine mix and match deal at dominoes.com today. Rewards program is open only to U.S. residents 13 and older with a pizza profile account. Only one order per day earns points. Complete details at dominoes.com slash rewards. You must select this limited time offer. Prices, participation, and charges may vary
0: introducing play.it a podcast network like no other from award-winning news programming and number one sports brands to entertainment and business leaders play.it is delivering storytelling at its best we're going to be having conversations with newsmakers and culture shapers i will be talking mostly about fashion and how i've been marketing all my life tech culture and entrepreneurship
4: everything in the world of sports entertainment and wrestling and
0: beyond hear what you've been missing at play.it This is Wavemaker Conversations. We call this edition How to Watch the Super Bowl Better Than Your Friends. When I started looking around for people with perspective-changing insights on the game, the first person I called was Ross Greenberg, one of this nation's most prolific and award-winning sports documentary makers. Ross Greenberg was president of HBO Sports from 2000 to 2011. Uh, He won 52 Emmys there. Ross Why not
3: 62? (laughs) I'm working on it. I'm still busy doing a lot of production.
0: You're working on a hockey film. You've just finished it. I watched part of it. Uh, You embedded your cruise uh, with the Chicago Blackhawks and the Washington Capitals uh, leading up, uh, That's called the Road to the Winter Classic. And after watching some of that film, I have a question for you. What is the more physically punishing and demanding game, in your opinion, hockey or football?
3: Oh I would still say football ranks higher in terms of its punishment to the athlete. Um you know there's a hit on every single play and uh they endure such pain especially the inner sanctum of those two off the offensive and defensive lines. It's a very violent sport. The collisions are more physical and and I would I would still rank uh football above, although I have to say the sheer number of hockey games that these guys endure in a season uh, might even things out over the long run. They certainly play with a lot of pain.
0: I was looking at this New York Times uh, story the other Sunday about how the rules in the NFL have been changed to favor the quarterback to make this more of a passing game, and they told all these stories about these defensive guys pulling back and not hitting hard when in the past they might have hit hard because they would be penalized now. And the, it almost made the game sound quaint, but of course it's, it's very violent and very punishing. Did you see that story? What did you make of it?
3: Yeah, I mean, we're still in a transition with the NFL. They know they have to take the helmet-to-helmet hits out of the game. They have to take any dangerous hits out of the game, you know, because of the concussion situation and, and the the violence that's causing a lot of older players to go through tremendous pain as they get on in life into their 40s, 50s, and 60s. So, So I think you're seeing a transition and you're seeing a lot of penalties caused by some violent hits, and you're seeing a protection of the quarterback and also the wide receivers that are out there in patterns uh, catching the ball. So that's why you're seeing the different form of football that you're seeing today and the the proliferation of offensive football and the quarterback position being so important to an individual team, not even be able to get to the Super Bowl without an outstanding quarterback.
0: So looking at the sweep, of the evolution of football. When, when we watch this Super Bowl and even into next season, what are we going to see in terms of the athleticism, in terms of the, as you say, grace, in terms of the violence that that is going to be very different from what we would have seen 10 years ago?
3: I think, you know, it's very subtle, but uh, you don't even realize it's happening half the time. But there are a series of penalties that are called in the modern game in the last year, that were not called, whether it's helmet-to-helmet, hands-to-the-face. There's so many penalties called when, you know, anyone is going near the head uh, or using the head as a weapon that... um that you're, You you kind of know the penalties call, and at times I think the American public's having trouble adjusting to the new form of football. But over a long period of time, my point will be that the game will take on even more grace, will be better for it, um, and less violent, obviously, and incurring less injuries, severe injuries to the head, particularly, and other parts of the body potentially. Because I think you'll continue to see a wave of of penalties that the competition committee will come up with to protect the safety and the health of the players, not just now, but those in their 50s that are dealing with knee injuries and shoulder injuries you know, and, and God forbid, head injury. So so I think you'll see the evolution of a new game, and it'll go back to arm tackling. You know, the roots of football, I want to remind people, were with rugby, which I also played in college, having played football in high school. And rugby, in those, in you know, in these days, is about arm tackling and just bringing someone down. It's not... It's actually turned a little more violent, and there's no padding, so it is a bizarre game at some point. Um, and needs to be curtailed as well but the fact is that that football will go back to its roots when it was a less violent game and I don't think that's going to detract from the quality of the game itself on the field so so I'm kind of looking forward to the new day uh, when football goes a little bit back to its roots
0: let me ask you how you watch and what you look for When you watch a Super Bowl or any big game, tell us what we should know that we'll never really be able to see in the fast-moving action.
3: I think I'm a I'm a kind of lover of history. So when I – and, you know, I did so many features over so many years on so many NFL football players that I know that what goes in, the ups and downs of a career and what goes into getting to that moment in time where you're playing in a Super Bowl for all the marbles for the championship and for that blessed ring. And so, you know, when I look at Tom Brady, I'm not just looking at Tom Brady, the kid, you know, who uh, – who grew up and became a great quarterback and, and, you know, has now become a Hall of Fame quarterback. But I'm looking at the Tom Brady, you know, who struggled at Michigan and uh, was barely on the New England Patriots and fought for a job and had to wait, you know, halfway through his uh, first year or two and finally got the shot and then turned it into something really special and never looked back or Marshawn Lynch, you know, where did he come from? What what got him to this point of being the most dominant physical running back the game may have ever seen? That's what gets me emotional at the end of a game is thinking about what's going through the minds of these players.
0: I'm a guy who doesn't watch a lot of football, but I was watching Marshawn Lynch in the last game. I I didn't see any holes. I just saw him running over people and through people, and now and now and now you're telling me that it wasn't always easy for him. Like he wasn't just you. You wouldn't have people wouldn't have predicted that he was going to be able to run through people. What what made Marshawn Lynch Marshawn Lynch?
3: I don't know what kicked in. I mean, he was always a dominant, a good, solid running back for Buffalo, and then finding his way to Seattle, but something clicked a couple of years ago weather was making his letting his mind just go and and saying enough i'm just going to start attacking people and i'm going to be you know take the offensive and and take these defenders down i don't know if he worked really hard in the weight room in order to to physically you know uh become that kind of a running back um by the way he's never given credit for being a nifty you know, shifty running back, which he, and, and a speed demon, which he also is. I mean, look, I haven't seen anything like him since the great Jim Brown in the sixties. Um, again, putting it in an historic context, I, I've never seen a running back and even Jim Brown, God bless him. He would probably say he couldn't even run with that kind of aggression. He ran powerfully and ran people down and never, never quit. And maybe if I looked at more of his highlights, I've seen most of them. Uh, I'd see very distinct similarities between the two. Um, but but seriously, I I don't know what clicked, but something did a couple years ago. Guys guys get into their prime at different stages in their careers. But right now, we're seeing one of the most dominant running backs I've ever seen in the sport.
0: I always feel one of the most uh, overlooked positions in football. I've gotten obsessed with the center.
3: Well, if you want to watch the center, you know, I have to tell you the Seattle Center's got Wolfark right over him, and he's about 360 pounds of just pure muscle and and will. So um, that matchup will be important, Um, and that matchup will trigger whether Marshawn Lynch can actually run through that defensive line and over people. If he can run over Wolfark, God bless him. Um, so so that is a, a critical matchup.
0: You did a special called The Forgotten Four. Right. About the first four African-Americans uh, in the NFL?
3: In the NFL, after there was a 13-year drought of no African-Americans in pro football. In 1933, the owners got together and decided it was not economically feasible to have blacks on the field because after the Depression hit, it was all about you know, not upsetting the white fan base and have them thinking that African Americans were taking the jobs from whites on the football field in a in an NFL which, you know, did not compare to what we see today um, and was not going through the economic boom that it is today. So, yeah, in 1946, Woody Strode, um, Kenny Washington, You know, out in L.A. for the L.A. Rams and Marion Motley and Bill Willis for the Cleveland Browns in the AAFC, another league that was started up in those days with the mighty Paul Brown at the helm. Those four gentlemen integrated pro football in 1946, which amazingly was one year before Jackie Robinson integrated baseball through the book Brooklyn Dodgers with Branch Rickey.
0: Now, now those guys, when you are in a scrimmage, you would think that if there if there are going to be racial epithets hurled, there's there's also going to be real serious physical contact and threats, given the nature of that game, which you can't do on a baseball field because everything's out in the open. That's true. And so, did those guys suffer? in that respect?
3: Major. Major. And, uh, you know, Kenny Washington once played a game where he was just totally beaten up. And by the end of the game, he had scored a couple touchdowns, you know, had a 67-yard punt return, I believe, and played the game of his life. And he was walking off the field with one of his uh, teammates. And and he said... um, his words to to the guy after the guy said, "You know, that was one of the greatest football games I've ever seen played by a by a running back." And Kenny Washington said, "Yeah, that's all fine, but it's hell to be black." That was his line. Um, because he knew he'd gotten beaten up just because of the color of his skin.
0: How were they beaten up? What was going on?
3: Well, deep in the pile, you know, after he'd get tackled and there'd be a pile, you know, there would be guys, you know, punching him in the face or pulling on him and, I mean, just horrible, just horrible kinds of things. I mean, uh, you can imagine hidden in a pile what a player can do to someone. So, uh, and mentally, I mean, they were constantly, you know, jabbering at them and, uh, and, and just calling them racial epithets, as you said. And, and it was, uh, it was very difficult. They were, they were kind of ostracized and, and uh, had to spend a lot of time together, which is part of the reason why each team had two African-Americans, so that Kenny Washington and Woody Strode became best friends. Um, You know, on the road, it was very difficult for them. Uh, A lot of their teammates didn't even want to be around them. On the Los Angeles side, Cleveland had much more of a familial tone to it because of Paul Brown, so that they were more accepting of Willis you know in Motley but uh but the, you know Strode and Washington just had a hell of a time um sitting in. I mean it it was it was brutal.
0: That just changed my perspective on on what we won't see in this Super Bowl but on what we probably shouldn't mm-hmm. take for granted that we don't
3: see. That's exactly right. I mean it's such a You know, it's family at the core, these teams. The great ones win championships because they are a family, black and white and whatever background you have. And, uh, you know... (laughs) That, that just isn't an issue in today's game. Uh, they they are bro- they're a brotherhood in that locker room, which is another thing that you know I've learned over the years in doing all these reality shows. When I've spent so much time in the locker room with cameras and off the field and off the ice, it's you know it's magical to see a band of brothers come together uh, with a coach kind of steering it all. Uh, that's Those are the teams that win championships. I, I know Brady's great, Marshawn Lynch is great, Russell Wilson's great. They're all great players, but unless all 53 join at the hip and become a brotherhood, they ain't winning the championship.
0: Uh, listen, thank you so much.
3: Okay, Michael, thank you.
0: If you like what you just heard on Wavemaker Conversations and you'd like to subscribe to this weekly podcast for free, you can do so on iTunes, on CBS's new podcasting platform, Play It, that's play.it, on TuneIn, or on my website, wavemaker.me. I'm your host, Michael Shoulder. Thanks for joining me. With
4: Domino's new Piece of the Pie Rewards, you earn a free medium two-topping pizza after just six online orders of $10 or more. Need some reasons to order? Throw a half-birthday party for your husband. Happy 36 and a half. Or your cat. Or get in touch with your vegetarian side. Hold the pepperoni. But we think free pizza's reason enough. Start earning points toward free pizza with our $5.99 mix-and-match deal at Domino's.com today. Rewards program is open only to U.S. residents 13 and older with a pizza profile account. Only one order per day earns points. Complete details at Domino's.com slash rewards. You must select this limited time offer. Prices, participation, and charges may vary.